Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Second Take Podcast. Everything's going so well. And I'm Zancy Weber. I am the evil Maharaja. I also go by Sebastian. Hurt him to save him. I'm Andrew Shostler from Sister Podcast, A New World Order. And today we are reviewing Moulin Rouge, released in 2001. Directed by Baz Luhrmann, written by Baz Luhrmann and Craig Pierce. Starring Nicole Kidman, Ewan McGregor, John Leguizamo, Jim Broadbent, Richard Roxburgh, Gary McDonald, Jacek Kuhlman, Matthew Whitett, Karen Walker, Carolyn O'Connor, Christina Nu, Natalie Mendoza, Lara Malaki. Mulcahy, Malaki, who cares? David Wenham, Kylie Minogue, and Ozzy Osbourne. Moulin Rouge, the last of the Red Curtain trilogy, Baz Luhrmann's first three movies. How are we feeling, gentlemen? No. You don't have to be here. <laughs> I I saw this when it first came out. 2001 was the last time that I saw this film. In preparation for this one, I watched um, the Nostalgia Critic review of Moulin Rouge. Good episode. Which came in last year. I enjoyed that so much more than Moulin Rouge. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm just writing down something note for myself. Matilda, The Grinch, Moulin Rouge. When I come home from a late night at work or recording <laughs> and my wife is watching anything on TV or this is the gem, she's gone to bed early, but she was watching Netflix on her phone and it's just left beside her on the bed playing a movie of some kind. It will be The Grinch, Matilda or Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Not Rent? She moved away from Rent. Oh, Rent was a daytime uh, movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's scary. Um, right yeah so i have a long history in the last almost seven years of coming home seeing an unconscious woman drooling while sleeping reaching for her phone and turning off any scene of moulin rouge so i'm a little bit bitter because it doesn't matter where i am or what i've been doing sometimes i come in and there's talks of can can canning and (laughs) And that song about marmalade. I don't know how it goes. And it <laughs> what? Yeah, you heard me. Marmalade. Marmalade. And I'm. I just. I just don't love it. So, but I've never actually had to sit down to watch it before. So this was a. This was an experience because it's just like it's nice to see that you're a loving, supportive husband who takes an active interest in his wife's likes and dislikes. <laughs> you know, like in the Marvel movies in the early days, they'd give like hints, like you'd see like a, a little a little star on like some part of the African continent and like the, the in the no fans were like, oh, that's Wakanda. Or like you'd hear about some expert in gamma radiation. You'd be like, oh, that's Bruce Banner, you know? 
I feel like my life has been that. Like I see hints of just Moulin Rouge everywhere, but I have I have never gotten to my my feature film. And this this week was the payoff where I finally saw the movie. I'm like, oh, so that's what they've been hinting about in the background of my life for seven <laughs> years. So I mean, it's kind of cinematic in that way, right? My life. Mm, probably. Did that answer your question? I just felt like I went on like a. A spiral mostly, rant. Good. Mostly you just went on a bit of a rant. <laughs> Any production notes about Moulin Rouge? Uh, this film was released in 2001 on Earth. Correct. I thought so. Any other planets? I actually tried to work out, quote, <laughs> what the date was on Pluto. And turns out they don't give them separate calendars based off their rotations, which I'm upset because I would have thought that from like its start date, whether they would have you know assumed that it's been around as long as Earth has been, but it's made like four <laughs> rotations of the sun. It would have been course, year four. Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. find this information in a quick Google search, apparently. It's almost like time is subjective and we only use well, measurements because we, measure a we year. need to discern one day from the next. But we, we, measure, we, we, we measure a year based on the rotation of the sun. And I was hoping from our discovery date of Pluto, assuming it has been there as long as we think Earth has been there, if we could have worked out in the in the last 5,000 years on Earth, it's made a 1,000 rotations. Pluto is, quote, 1,000 Pluto years old. Now, no, I'm, not there. I'm actually willing to put all talk of Milan Rouge aside. Let's focus in on this. <laughs> <laughs> to whose benefit would that be, Sebastian? <laughs> well, me for this bit of trivia, which I really tried for, and Plutonians? Plut- Plutonarchs? Plut- Plutites? Like, if they exist, I'm sure that they can come up with their own subjective measures of time. And maybe when we discover them and communicate, we can figure out exactly what Pluto date Milan Rouge was released. Synchronize the calendar. I'm not yeah. saying that this is useful information, but I'm saying I'm surprised that no one has worked it out ever, <laughs> like ever. And I'm we, saying- can, we can work it out right now. Pluto's, Pluto's uh, orbit is 237 years. So, 237. Yeah. Yep. So in 2001, let's let's assume a year zero. Let's mark that as the yep. uni- universal common common this year. Is good. Right. Divided by 237, 2001, it is uh, eight years, eight Pluto years, and <laughs> 0. 0.443. So uh, let's uh, 0.443 uh, divided by divided by 12. Uh, no, that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, 12 divided by 0.4. <laughs> No, that also doesn't work. <laughs> but what we really come into problems with is when we get to Mercury and figuring out that because its year is longer than its day. This is true. Ooh. So well, this it, is true. But this so is, this is, this is like uh, yeah, May, May the 10th. In year eight of Pluto. In, in the year eight of Pluto. So now we know. Isn't that a better fact? <laughs> I Thank you, Andrew. Feel smart I was annoyed with that, so I appreciate it. <laughs> Speaking of... Oh, Sorry, Alex is away. I gotta make up a thing. Um, <laughs> let me just go through my notes here. Yep, that's a legitimate paper sound. Um, Alex that's is folly work. Yeah, thank you. Alex is trapped in the fifth dimension. Oh, so we have the three dimensions, the fourth dimension, which I believe is just time. Is that what they go with? Yeah, and the fifth dimension, which is exclusively smell, I think is what. <laughs> no, stop calling back to old episodes that we don't want people listening to because they were subpar. Uh, so yeah, Alex is trapped. I can't believe he did that as an episode. Oh, I'll explain it in a second for your benefit and for our newer listeners. But oh, I'm gonna go listen back now. You're great. 
Oh, good <laughs> luck. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea where it appeared or what it was in reference to. I will, I know I will, I will wade to. through through mountains of material <laughs> just to find that reference. Um, so that was a while ago Alex was saying, because he really loves the movie Interstellar, and he was saying that Interstellar was about Space travel, but obviously it had the time travel element with between mm-hmm. blah blah blah, fourth dimension, blah blah blah. Time dilation element. Yeah. And he's like, "What if they worked out at the end of the movie with like all that nonsense to travel in the fifth dimension, which would be smell?" <laughs> no, I, I think Wasn't I asked that? for a pitch yeah. or something, and he pitched a movie with the dimension of smell because he somehow <laughs> he somehow got senses and dimensions yep, mixed up. Sure did. So maybe maybe our Interstellar review, or it could have been a, it could have been a pitch in a movie debate, or before Interstellar, at that time period for us at least, because it was spatial uh, dimensions beyond our recognizable (laughs) three make just as much sense as smell, so it could legitimately be the the fifth dimension. Do not not give him credit. It makes just as much sense. (laughs) So he's off being a pioneer in that the travel of the fifth dimension that is smell, (laughs) and we assume he'll be back next week. Done. I've done my job. Andy, any any uh any interesting The necklace in in the film was genuinely worth a million dollars. It was a million dollars. Well over a million dollars. It's only estimates because it's never been sold. Uh, I see. Yes, it was genuine diamond and lovely things, all made for the film and completely legitimate. Not that's not the one she appears in in the dance, it's the one the Duke gives to her when they meet in the tower. I thought it was the dance. No, no. So that's that's fake. It's not the 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 heart shaped oh. thing that Zidler gives to her. It's the one that uh, the Duke wraps around her neck when oh, she's right. looking out and she sees Christian walking along the street. Very dramatic. Hmm. Um, what a very good use of the movie's budget. Yeah, and it was going to be auctioned, but two days before the auction, uh, the creator, the jeweler, what was his name? Uh, was it Stefano and uh, Cantori said, "No, I love it too much. Can't have it. Wow. It's mine. Wow! But uh, 134 carats. My goodness, a lot of diamonds. Yeah, so think of the horses you, like, you could feed with them. You like that sort of thing? <laughs> sparkly, so <laughs> very sparkly. But I did see the new uh, Ocean's movie, Ocean's Eight. Oh yes, they also had some very sparkly necklaces in there. Really? Yeah, good movie, worth seeing. If you like the Ocean's movies, really." It's an okay movie. Okay. Yeah. It's right. it's another Oceans movie. Yeah. It makes as much sense and is as funny yeah. as yeah. any of them. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, good. It should have been called Oceans 9, but that's some that's <laughs> a discussion for another day. Um, Cat Stevens didn't want Father and Son to appear in the film. It was originally scripted um, to have Father and Son playing with a scene with uh, huh. Christian and his father uh, uh, at the start, yeah. and that was going to be the transition for him moving out. And Cat Stevens said... No, no, no! I'm religious now, and this film is far too sexy. So no, you can't no, have no, it. no, no! You <laughs> show people in underwear. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, the only other thing I had was that it was premiered in Taree. Taree. Yeah, Taree, New South Wales, was the first place in huh. the world this film was seen, and the 250 tickets sold were sold at a pharmacy. Right. <laughs> Any particular reason or just? I think because the movie theatre didn't have a ticket sales <laughs> area. All right. Good. But it was. Excellent. Yeah. Baz Luhrmann being, being 
the Australian that he is said, eh, we should get to see it first. Yeah, <laughs> take that, America. I don't know what the reviews were though. <laughs> I haven't I haven't read the Tari Sun yet from two thousand one. Uh, and I don't plan to. <laughs> I mean, just to put it out there. Ooh, okay. Anything else? Any no? Yes. There was some interesting um, uh, cast proposals for Christian, which went to Ewan McGregor, um, mm. who had done Obi-Wan in Star Wars by that time, which was Correct. 1999. Yeah. Um, Heath Ledger was one of the proposed actors. I think he hadn't done that much either. He was a very well-known Australian actor. I don't think he'd done anything internationally. I don't know if he can sing. Also, well... Was it him singing in Ten Things I Hate About You? I don't know. It wasn't or was that it wasn't a him. Dub over. Yeah. It was dub over. Mm. I mean, they did it for other characters in this one. So yeah. it's not a huge No, that's thing, right. But, that's right. I mean, Ewan McGregor did record his own, as did yeah, Nicole he's a Kidman. Fantastic singer. Yeah. yeah. Nicole Kidman learnt to sing for this movie. Is that right? Yeah. And then she went and released a couple songs with like uh, Robbie Williams, Robbie Williams yeah. and then yeah. it went away. I was just thinking Robbie Williams because he steps into the actor bucket every now and then too, doesn't he? Every now and then. Yeah. Um, but was Hugh, Hugh Jackman was also considered? Hugh Jackman as well, who at that time, um, I think the most notable thing he'd ever done was uh, Wolverine in, yes, in yeah. the first X-Men. Other than that, he'd only done a string of romantic comedies. Um, like Kate and Leopold and Paperback Heroes. They're okay, they're fine movies. I, I like Kate and He's Leopold. He's no Wolverine <laughs> in Paperback Hero. But, and and I, I, I couldn't find out, had he done Boy From Oz um, at that point? Uh, no, not at that point. That Boy was From still Oz coming. Was okay. early 2000s. Oh, no. Um, I saw Boy From Oz on, on stage when I was in grade three or four, which would have been... Well, cousin and one was when I hit grade five, and it was my prior school. Oh, so well, it was ninety nine, ninety eight, okay. okay, so yeah, because yeah. yeah. I yeah, so I was at my my old primary school back when I was yeah, so ninety ninety nine at the latest. Was with him? Yeah, huh? cool. at Cupac, just um down the road from oh, here. Oh, oh yeah, no, sorry, I'm he didn't do it on Broadway. Oh yeah, no, sorry, yeah, this is oh, obviously in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he was yeah, so even Hugh Jackman was well known here, not particularly well known internationally at that point. Yeah, well, X Men was two thousand and one, wasn't it? 2000, I think. Maybe 2000. Yeah, and that, that's around, really what yeah. showed him to everyone. Yeah. So, um, But Jake Gyllenhaal is also considered. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But he is a legit singer. Like he, he, oh, did really? a, he did a run on Broadway in Stephen Sondheim's Sunday in the Park with George. And I we did a review on it in uh, Musical Storm, Everything I Know. And it's impressive. It's a okay. really impressive performance. So Jake Gyllenhaal, this is well before that. This was like this is 2012, I think his his wow. uh Sunday in the Park. So he would have been much younger then. But also Ronan Keating. Ronan Keating. That's no surprise. No. He he's done stuff on West End and whatever and he's generic <laughs> white guy. Matt Damon sings. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? You said generic white guy. Do you remember sings? Oh, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke sings? I no idea. Hawks are known for screeching, which is kind of like singing for birds. <laughs> incorrect. Nope. Yep. That was incorrect. <laughs> Clucking is like singing for birds. But do you want to know Cluck. who auditioned for Satine? Love to. <laughs> Courtney Love. No. What? Courtney Love auditioned for Satine, and, and that's why she she gave uh, Baz Luhrmann permission to use Smells Like Teen Spirit. I see. In it, yeah. 
because <laughs> she doesn't really give out permission to a lot. But also Kate Winslet again. Okay, yeah. Hilary Swank, Renee Zellweger. That was a good good choice. Drew Barrymore also a good choice. Uh, <laughs> Sophie Ellis Bexter, who is I guess big at the time. She's a pop singer. The name. She's just a pop singer. I don't think she's done much uh, film work. So right. yeah. But you know, Ewan McGregor who can sing, Nicole Kidman who learnt to sing is mm-hmm. I don't think it's a terrible pairing. And BMX Bandit, Nicole Kidman, right? Yeah, known for that curly red hair. Yep. <laughs> in this movie, you never see her without a wig. It's all wig in this movie. <sighs> did did Kylie Minogue did Kylie Minogue audition for Satine? Was she ever considered for her? Uh I didn't find that she did. Um I know that Kylie Minogue's. I mean, she had acted. Yeah. At that, I mean, she got her start on on Neighbours. After all, I know Kylie Minogue was not originally the Green Fairy. Yeah. It was going to be like a long-haired man voiced by Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they said mm, probably. I would love to. Have seen probably, that. probably not the. So they changed her into a a Tinkerbell yeah. kind of thing with. Kylie Minogue. Yeah. So, but still, when she turns evil, she's then voiced by Ozzy Osbourne, which is why I mentioned Ozzy Osbourne in the opening. (laughs) (laughs) He is in it. I I do not doubt this. (laughs) I doubt it a lie. Um, What's next? Is there more trivia or we move on to Bebis? I'm sure we'll come up. So Bebis? Movie baby. Bebis? I think this movie is a mix of, of Chicago. Wait, sorry. Chicago. I had to block my nose for that. Um, I went Batman Forever this time. <laughs> and do you guys remember that one scene in Titanic where they're spinning around whilst dancing? Like they're having like the look, we're in the shitty part uh, of the deck yes. swing dance moment. And there's that prolonged bit where they're swinging and the camera's held between them going around in a circle. That scene. Sure. Nailed it. <laughs> you put those in a blender, you you made me out like a banana just for some like potassium, and then that is this movie. Okay. Andrew? And what about you, Andy? I had uh, The Princess Bride meets An American in Paris. Now, I hadn't seen An American in Paris. It's a movie from the 50s, mm. but the plot of it is about uh, a World War II veteran who moves to Paris in order to paint and finds a patron um, who is an elderly lady and there's some confusion in the beginning that she's she's after him, but really she's just interested in the painting. Uh, but he falls in love with the same person as the boss of his neighbour. And then there's right. some... Yeah, yeah. There's some fighting about which way she should go. She ends up you know, uh, saying no to the World War II soldier painter guy and saying, no, I have to have to marry this guy. He's he's older and I don't really love him, but I'm going to marry him anyway because that's the right thing to do. They drive off together and then the old guy brings her back and says, you know, you're going to have her. I'm done. I can't deal with this. And happy ending. <laughs> Good. And that <laughs> that kind of happy ending that isn't really a happy ending if you play it out, you know, in the in the days and weeks after that because when they're when they're talking about um, the situation, it's not it's not going to be pleasant. It reminded me very much of the of the of the ending of Moulin Rouge, where Ewan McGregor, Christian, yeah, yeah. calls her out, 
and then turns around and says, I love you anyway. And how on earth could she not be not be hurt by how he how he treated her? Yeah. Yeah, I I don't get that. Like, it didn't make any such sense. Such a dick. Yeah, like you went from like being like the 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 hurt person to was like, mm, no, thank you. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. So I didn't. I I I thought that's that made perfect sense, which is why I included it. Yeah. I was I was I was struggling. <laughs> For me, uh, it is a, a weird mix. But hear me out. The Phantom of the Opera, the movie. Okay. Hey, that's also a Joel Schumacher film. Good choice. <laughs> uh, mixed with The Wizard of Oz uh-huh. because of the the heightened sense of like we go into Oz and then we cut back and, you know, how Baz goes between this really dull when you have Christian narrating the story to this like hyperkinetic, hyper-stylized okay. hyper Moulin Rouge um, sort of thing. But then also both musicals and then Phantom has the forbidden love story then the love triangle. Um, and also the show within a show. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's also why I went with Princess Bride because it sort of yes. did, sort of did that, yeah. and it's about love and Ugh. whatever that is, right? <laughs> Batman <laughs> Forever is also about love. <laughs> nope, that's the other one. That's Batman and Robin. <laughs> Very true. Batman Forever is the one with oh no, nipples. there's love. Yeah, there's also nipples. Batman Forever is the one with Riddler. Riddler and Two Face. Yes. Yeah. Is that a Val Kilmer Batman? Yes. Yes. Don't look at me. George Clooney was the last one, wasn't he? <laughs> Who knows? Yes. Who cares? He was. George Clooney was. Let's the move la- on. <laughs> Tweet nopsises. Um. Uh, Baz Luhrmann attempts to tell a story about the sexiest of nineteenth-century diseases: tuberculosis. Is it the sexiest? I think syphilis is probably the sexiest. No, because tuberculosis, like, unless you're like coughing up blood, you don't look ill. Ah, so you retain the sexiness, whereas in syphilis, like, the wings, those facial features. Yeah, because tuberculosis is one of those horrible internal diseases, whereas, (laughs) yeah, syphilis is like really like on your moneymaker. Well, potentially, I guess, anyway. You can hide it, though. I mean, like, she could hide a lot with wigs. (laughs) She could be bald. We have no idea because she's always wearing a wig. What about you, Andy? Love uh, finds a way. <laughs> Is it Jurassic Park? <laughs> Jurassic Pork, maybe. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, Team Duke, am I right? Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Agree to disagree. <laughs> Wait, Duke was played by? Basil uh, Exposition. Yeah, no. He was played by uh, Richard Roxburgh. Yeah, hard no. Team Duke? No. He was right. He had every right to expect what he expected and then it was the story of them trying to lie to him and get away with it. Yep. Like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> if, if you didn't want to make the deal, don't make that specific deal. If I can bring this back to D&D one more time, Zane. <laughs> you always shirk on the deals that you make, otherwise it's boring. You don't just make a deal and then fulfill your end of the bargain. This isn't real life. Speaking as your uh, dungeon master, I will make things interesting whether you live up to the deal or not. <laughs> you make the bad things happen to yourself because my characters will be logical about it. <laughs> Whereas like, if this is real life, you sign a contract, guys, do what the deal says. But in a consequence-free environment, ooh, 
Absolutely. Let the story take you yeah. take control. Could be even more tantalizing. You never know what adventures you'll get up to. Exactly. You could die of tuberculosis. <laughs> the sexiest of 19th century diseases. <laughs> All right. Are we talking about the good or the bad first? Oh, let's, go, let's go the bad because we need something positive to wrap up on. Let's talk the bad. This is Baz Luhrmann's first fully fledged musical. And I think there were just a couple too many musical numbers in there just for the sake of a musical number. <laughs> I mean, I say this as a fan of musicals, like if the music is if the, if the music number is not justified in narrative, yeah, just get rid of it. Yeah. Like that like a virgin thing is like visually fun to watch, like hilarious, but great not great necessary. as a skit. Yeah. Not, not as a part of the film. Yeah. Yeah. But then uh, Tango Roxanne Perfect musical number because it's justified in the story. It's telling you how several people, different mm-hmm. different people feel. It furthers the story by showing you what's actually happening on the night and it's a very interesting song in itself. And it's um, a great performance from, uh, is it Jacek uh, Kerman? Uh, yeah, Jacek Kerman. It, yeah. yeah, the unconscious Argentinian mm. is <laughs> his only name in the movie. He's got um, a great voice. So, yeah, yeah. I think the one or two too many musical numbers. They even did a mashup song, if I remember correctly. So they, did, they did a medley. Kind of, it's called the Elephant Love Song. Yeah, they're kind of just, Christian and, and uh, Satine are just going back and forth. Yeah. One line from a new song each. Yeah. It yeah. was. That was that was very, very forced. Even in the story, like the, the script wasn't as tight as Lerman's stuff has been up to this point. Um, and I think this is, this is, this movie is where he, figures out that he has total carte blanche to do whatever he wants and he's just pushing those boundaries bit by bit it's by like, bit. Bit by bit he's been going, there's the, the you know, the constant battle between style and substance Yeah, and it's just that moment where his style has just creeped up that little bit higher <laughs> and it just feels like, oh, you're just being yeah. crazy. Yeah, I think he had less to say in this movie than he did in Romeo and Juliet or Strictly Ballroom. Right. So I think Which that's is weird why. because he wrote this fully. Like it wasn't like Romeo and Juliet where he had to pick up someone else's work and pretend like he gave a fuck about it. Like this was his story. Well, it was Romeo and Juliet was also a passion project for him. Like he did love doing it. He wanted to do it. It wasn't like a producer said, look, we really have to make a Romeo and Juliet movie. All the rights go come and do it. All the rights go back to the Shakespeare estate. It's gone forever. <laughs> no more Hollywood. <laughs> oh, terrible. But having said that, almost all of the musical numbers have really interesting, uh, really interesting, like magical re- realism stuff and visual effects that are his kind of signature. It's over the top, which is, it what is he, over the top. which is what he does. Yeah. Um, but this this movie is less justified, unfortunately. <laughs> Especially when you <clears throat> watching like I did Romeo and Juliet back to back with Moulin Rouge, it is so it's so obvious how how tight and meaningful everything in Romeo and Juliet was when compared to Moulin Rouge. It's really like let's do this because we can. Yeah, yeah. The the summation at the end of. Um uh, the Nostalgia Critic Review, is that it's a guilty pleasure film. Uh, and I have to agree with that. There's, it doesn't have a particularly good message that, you know, I don't even know how you'd want to categorise it, that love conquers all or that, you know, just keep pressing. Um, and and uh, this, is, this is actually to hark back to our uh, 
our sister podcast, New World Order, um, your almost new motto, your kind of de facto motto is uh, <laughs> freedom is messy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's is. the kind yeah. of the message <laughs> yeah. of this movie is like, sure, you can do what you want, but it's going to be messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this just feels to me like it's like one of those, okay, follow me on this ridiculous metaphor, which I'm only thinking of now. Imagine that you have a machine that just every two minutes gives you a piece of, of chewing gum. Mm-hmm. No, thank All you. All you have to do is sit in front of the machine, wait your two minutes, and there's a delicious new piece of candy that it produces for you. Yep. That's all this film does. Yes. Like the machine itself is dull. It's just a black box. It's boring. There's nothing really going on there. It doesn't even go bing. It doesn't even go bing. But every two minutes, <laughs> something delicious comes out of it. And you're like, oh, I remember why I like yeah. this box. But then when you're like in between those delicious moments, you're like, but it is just a plain black box. <laughs> and that's kind of what this movie is for me. Like, Can I expand on that? I would love to. <laughs> <someone> to <laughs> metaphor. I, I, I self-confessed. Um, I think- what made Romeo and Juliet good was the fact that he didn't focus on Romeo and Juliet. Like this film is packed with interesting characters that are not Christian and Satine. Like and Jim Broadbent. Or is Jim Broadbent. Mm. This is my favorite mm. performance of Jim Broadbent and I'm a huge fan of Jim Broadbent. It took three hours for him to get into his fat suit <laughs> for this movie. Um, and he did a lot of his own voice work except for Like a Virgin where they yeah. got an opera singer in because he's not a singer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He can sing. I mean, he, he, he could have done it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, John Leguizamo yeah. uh, is as Henri Toulouse-Lautrec, who is the actual – Henri Toulouse-Lautrec is the artist who was the first artist to be featured in the Louvre during his life and oh. he did all the – Moulin Rouge paintings and posters that uh, made the Moulin Rouge yeah. famous. Um, and there is a 1950s movie starring Jean-Jean Gabor called Moulin Rouge, which is an excellent movie. Okay. An excellent movie. Um, totally different about his life. <clears throat> but like John Leguizamo as Toulouse-Lautrec, amazing. The Unconscious Argentinian. Carolyn O'Connor as, oh, what is her name? Uh, as Nini legs in the air, uh, <laughs> amazing, and she has maybe ten lines. Uh, she's the the bitch, yeah. the the bitch uh, diamond dog. Um, like all that there, all the house mom. We never learn her name. I don't think, or I don't remember it. Um, so yeah, no, she's just there, and she's got something to say. I think mom fromage, maybe. Who knows? Uh, Yes, like there was so much in the background of this movie that I kind of wanted to be in the foreground. And I think Strictly Borum and Romeo and Juliet did that, like putting a bit more emphasis on what's happening behind the romance. Yes. And this time it just stuck to Christian as a teen too much for my liking anyway. Mm -hmm. I just got reminded of that. Have you guys seen 54? As in Studio 54, yes. but. I'm sorry, just talking about this reminded me of that film for some reason. It's pretty opulent. Yeah. <laughs> and about <laughs> prostitution and drugs. So. Yeah. That might be why. I'm just looking through it now and seeing if there's any <laughs> other connections between the two because it's been obviously years since I saw this film and I don't remember liking it, to be honest. I, I don't understand what anybody could enjoy about this film other than it being a spectacle. Wait, 54 or Milan Rouge? Uh, uh, Milan Rouge. Yep. Yeah. Well, it is the spectacle, and that's what no, sells that's it. Th- that's yeah. right. Other other than that, it's 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 kind of a shell. There isn't really a terribly 
compelling story behind it. Even the even the the love story, the romance, I don't particularly buy. Yeah, I I, I guess Nicole Kidman, I would blame for that more than you and McGregor because at least I can believe his performance. It is at no point clear to me whether Satine actually wants to be with you and McGregor or whether it is just kind of a thing that she's playing with. Yes. Or yeah. whether like because by all accounts, she should go with the Duke. Like this is Of course she should. This, it's a this is much a, better deal for her. her thing. Yeah. And like he's giving her exactly what she wants yeah. and what she's asked for. And it's yeah. an obvious mistake to stay with Christian. And at no point it, to me in the movie is that justified in any way other than I guess I love him. She must really love him because she's ruined a life for him. Yeah. So her very short tuberculosis ridden <laughs> life. She'll be dead in like six months after this film at the most. Mm. Right? Think of the sexy coughing though. Gross. But she dies in this film. Oh doy. In the last scene. Yeah. On stage. That is true. In front of my memory. Is, my memory is always her on the roof coughing up the blood. <laughs> And then in backstage coughing up blood. Yeah. <laughs> stage, but that, that, that last blood. scene, well, sorry, sorry, that last scene, that one scene of her on the roof where I feel like, oh, yeah, well, good. So it doesn't really matter what she chooses. No, Life is relevant. Any other bad stuff? Well, I was going to argue um, Andrew's point of it's just, like it being a bad note that it is just, yeah, one Big, you know, spectacle scene yeah. after the other one yeah. with very shitty detachment between it going like, well, that for me kind of means it can live on as like a series of music videos as opposed that's, to as a film. That's yeah. essentially what it is. It just stitched together music videos. Yeah. Well, it is being converted to Broadway at the moment. Um, so hopefully they can learn the lesson and focus more on the actual fun characters or maybe sell the love story a bit more and yeah. kind of rework it that way because they definitely have a lot enough visuals and and uh and I and I guess theatricality to go with. Yeah. So shall we talk about the good? It's over the top. It's over the top. Yeah, and uh, yeah. <laughs> that's in its favor because it does look spectacular. It, it is unbiasing. It buys into it. Yeah. And again, the music is it's like Pitch perfect, like no one other than than Lerman really has this touch of taking pop music or offbeat pop music and twisting it into this presentation that yeah is bigger than life. Like take Lady Marmalade, take Diamond Dogs by Beck, which is just a weird pull for a Milan <laughs> Rouge movie. Mm. Um, he also does it weirdly in that elephant love medley. Uh, but, you know, it was, I don't know what he was going for there, <laughs> but it got, it did well. Just like trying to see, just, yeah. Tarantino um, has a couple of moments in some of his films, but not, yeah. not obviously not as, was, was Baz Luhrmann the one that went off to do Great Gatsby as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So nothing to these levels of extreme. I mean, Tarantino does, because he does pay a lot of attention to the, the kind of music that he's using and the kind of, uh, kind of world that it comes from and where it belongs in his universe. Um, but he doesn't like score his movies like Lerman does. It's like this, he works it into the scene, mm. whereas it's very much just kind of uh, garnish or a lens to to listen to the song through in Tarantino stuff. Right. Um, so, again, the music in this is great. Come What May was disqualified from being uh, – 
from best song, best original song, because it was actually written from Romeo and Juliet, mm. um, but it was cut out, so it was reorchestrated to put in to Moulin Rouge. And, it and that was the only original music. Okay, and it wasn't changed enough to be, be considered original? Oh, well, yeah. it wasn't originally written for the movie. So, ah, yeah, so that's to get how they... best original song, it has to be written for the movie that it appears oh, in. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have thought you could just pinch any song that hadn't been performed in the no, film. No, no, it has to be written right. for. Yeah. Uh, Jim Broadbent, love him. Yeah. Uh, this is yeah. kind of, I guess for me, because I'm I'm not big into like British, that kind of upstairs, downstairs sort of drama, this is my introduction to Jim Broadbent. Uh-huh. But I have loved him in everything that I've seen him in. He plays a great character in one of my Favorite movies, bright young things about 1920s, um, roar, the roaring 20s leading into World War II. He plays a drunk general. Great. <laughs> oh, God, it was good. Drunk major. Who knows? Um, Jim Broadbent was great in this. John Leguizamo. He's good in everything. He is good. Yeah. He is very good. Um, Even as Luigi, he was good. Yeah. He was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even in Spawn, he was good. Which is a, yeah. I would say that he's an underrated actor. Yeah. And, but he's so. like... He's worked in so many things. He's got such a great filmography, but still like underrated. Like yeah. you don't think of great actors. You don't think of John yeah. Leguizamo, but yeah, like he, oh, he he went on to do a lot of voice work. His Ice Age was yeah. so yeah. much voice work. Yeah, but like still, like when you think of great actors yeah. of the nineties to now, like he yeah he's he's, he's, he's not on that list in the top ten, yeah. but at least not off the top of your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he should be. He should be. Carolyn O'Connor, she's an Australian theatre performer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's gone on to do great things internationally, but she's, for her 10 lines, like that is <laughs> that is the one character that you can be like, why are you such a bitch? Why are you doing this? She's closest to the villain that this movie has because the Duke is just kind of a, a dummy. Yeah. He's just kind of a, a prop that they're playing with. He's rich. Where, he doesn't have to be smart. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, so, like, Carolyn O'Connor, for the little that she's given, gives such a great performance. Yeah. Um, and, again, just the style. The magic realism at the very, like, when the hat, they throw a hat and it kind of leaves out and you see the gobs of the skyline of Paris and it just bounces against the, <laughs> the Eiffel Tower that's kilometres away. Yeah. Just touches like that and, like, the creeping... The all of them creeping up the elephant's face to see to spy on them having sex. It's very ridiculous and so ridiculous, so over the top, so beautiful that you want to be there and see it. Yes, you want to yeah. be a member of the audience watching all this unfold. I want. I want to be right. Zidler. <laughs> you could. You could pull him off if go. anybody could. <laughs> it's like oh, Zidler, no one can play him but you. No one's going to. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect little moment. <clears throat> Sam, you're on good, right? Yes, <laughs> we are on good. Like I said, this movie is an assortment of songs. I mean, I like some of them. I not the music guys is always really a difficult thing for me to like pounce in on but all right did you like it or have subsequent viewings or exposure as it might give me more black and white vietnam style flashbacks yeah Yeah, that um (laughs) has it been has it been tainted because you've seen so much of it and there's nothing a lot of it out of context as well yeah it's 
Yeah, and like I say, it's it's a very basic love story, so obviously it doesn't grab me there. There's never really the kind of movies I attract to. Like the the, yeah. the closest thing to a love story that I like is Scott Pilgrim, and even that's a punchy music video movie anyway. Oh, Spaceballs is a great love story. I'm not a huge fan of Spaceballs though. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I didn't, even, I didn't even recommend Spaceballs. I don't think any of us did. Yeah, um, love Spaceballs. I, well, it was funny <laughs> so tough to get through. <laughs> oh. um, so yeah, it's just music, guys. Like, I just, I really wish I could read more into it than that. But it's just, I just there's, there's not a lot of substance here. Mm. Like, that's it is real surface level, which is weird because Strictly Ballroom and Romeo and Juliet were so like intricately weaved together. Like, you have the weave, but it's not. Over anything in this one. I do want to say though, while I say it's just music, it's good music. Like I'm not trying to, it's, it's both yeah. a, it's a criticism and appraisal because it's like, I enjoyed it while it was happening. But once again, it could have just worked for me if I was just YouTubing random scenes here and there. Because even with the context setting the scenes up, the music didn't carry emotional weight for me that it mattered from what was prior to it, like to, to start the song. So it, it's all very competently shot. Like it's just, yeah, I just didn't yeah. give a fuck. That's all. And that's you could you could be in the theater watching this this film and carry on a conversation for its duration, absolutely, and not miss out on anything from the from the film and come away completely satisfied. Well, this this uh, it had two soundtracks. They released one, and it sold so well it went platinum five times in Australia. Yeah, they, that's astounding. They released a secondary one, which. All, like all the other music. So it has a lot of music in it. Um, and I have both of them and they're both really good soundtracks. <laughs> really good to listen to. Um, yeah, the music was great. I also want to touch on touch on the Duke a little bit because he played seedy and threatening and dweeby and dummy really well. But it doesn't go anywhere. It's a good no, performance, but, again, but the character doesn't go anywhere. It just kind of fizzles. Because they don't give him any motivation. Yeah. It's just kind of like, <laughs> I guess I don't like other people touching my things. That's as close as you get yeah. to motivations. Like, I guess I want to have sex with Satine, but I guess if she says no, but isn't she a prostitute? Wait, I am paying. What? <laughs> What's going? Why aren't we having sex? Uh, the question. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I I do like his performance. Like the character itself is. Yeah, performance is fine, yeah. but you can't latch onto anything. You, no. He's not he's not a real person in any even even by a stretch of the imagination. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we go on to final recommendations, Sebastian? I don't even know, guys. It was think of Jess. <laughs> She'll listen to it. I'll tell her. I'm I'm about to text her right now. <laughs> Jess doesn't listen to this podcast. Well, I'm I'm texting her, Sam. Jess doesn't <laughs> read. Um, I just, like I said, the songs were good, but the story was terrible. I, I don't, I don't even think you need to watch this movie to get what you need out of this movie. I honestly think you can just, hey, I want to listen to this song, jump on YouTube, bam, done. Watch the watch that scene. Like, I think you, if you're in the certain mood for a certain you know bit of music, that's the best way to go for me. The actual story is so useless that. You can be much more efficient with your time. You can watch all the stuff you need to see and not miss a single beat. And you sh- I shouldn't be able to say, like, oh, what's Alex's favorite movie? Like, let's say Lord of the Rings. You don't need to watch the The Return of the King. Here, Google these fifteen minutes, and that sums up the entire three-hour piece. Yeah. You can't say that about a movie when it stands as a whole. And this movie, for me, doesn't stand on as as a whole. Do you it's- think you could say that about the Warriors, though? <laughs> you could watch the good bits in fifteen minutes. 
I'm not saying you can't watch the best bits of a movie in a certain time, but I mean like you wouldn't be able to get the story from it. Whereas this thing, you could just watch three songs. And I think that's all you need to get out of this because the story okay. is so lackluster that the songs are all you need to get out of that mood of wanting to see it. And because you can do that, I'm going to say, fuck it, don't watch this movie. Just watch oh, okay. the clips you need to see online. Like it doesn't need to stand as one piece. Well, I, I, I have to say I enjoyed the Nostalgia Critic review much more than I did the film, but I did see it as a 17-year-old who didn't care about love at the time. Uh, <laughs> over the next 17 or so years, uh, I now, now I just now I just don't get what it's trying to say because it's yeah. not what it's describing isn't isn't love, but it's gorgeous. It's like going to the circus. You know, you know exactly what you're going to. It's going to be animals. There's going to be the smell of you know shit everywhere, faintly and through popcorn. the through, and popcorn <laughs> through the air. You know exactly what it's going for, and you kind of hate the idea that you wanted to go in the first place. But then the trapeze starts and, oh, yes, now I remember. This is this is beautiful. I love watching the this. The clowns start kicking yeah. each other. <laughs> so I so I would I would say this is most definitely a guilty pleasure if you watch it frequently. Uh, but even infrequently, I think you could get away with it. You don't, you, you don't have to give it all your attention. Yeah. You don't have to set aside time for it. Yeah. This is a great party movie. Yeah. 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 Um, and this this is a, a pleasure that I'm not at all guilty about. Like this, <laughs> this is a really good example of uh, like a style that I really enjoy. Um, this hyper theatrical, hyper stylized feathers and sequins and fog and uh, and kind of heightened melodrama that I can also enjoy. I can buy into. Yeah, it, it is disappointing when looking at Baz Luhrmann's oeuvre, that it isn't as hearty as the rest of his stuff. But again, I just say that this is a simple pleasure, whereas Romeo and Juliet can be enjoyed on a number of different levels uh, for very similar reasons, whereas this one is a little bit lacking. (laughs) So I'm not guilty that I'm going to recommend this. I do watch it quite often. Um, I just wish... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. You would need to add a lot more into the story and change the focus of the story a little bit more to fix it. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's that's that. But it's still fun. It's, Lots it's of fun. fun. Yeah. Like I never, I never resent having to watch this no. movie, um, or or second guess when I put it on. I was like, <laughs> oh, this is a bad choice, which I did the other day to some movie. What was it? Space Wars. No, I would never know. Have you guys ever reviewed Spaceballs on the we show? We did just before we did Star Wars. Yeah, we we did oh, no, it, we, we did three we did three mm. Mel Brooks at the beginning of the year. It's a, it's a shame we weren't no, doing will, doing anything. There, he's then. got I, a lot of other movies that we can do. Okay, all right. Have you ever watched Solar <laughs> Babies, Andy? No, he never. He didn't make it. But you know the joke in the producers where he's like, "Never put your own money in the yes. show." Yes. That is the movie that he's talking about that he put his own money in and ruined him. It was going to be the new kind of Star Wars dystopian future. Uh You should watch it. It's very hard to find a copy anywhere. Okay. But I'm going to put a shout out to Chan Star Anderson (laughs) um, from Mighty Motion Picture Rangers who inflicted that on me. So I'm just going to pass it along because Misery loves company. Thank you. So I'm going to make a prequel. To Moulin Rouge. To Moulin Rouge. 
Well, you have Full I mean, Moulin Rouge. Because <laughs> it becomes less Moulin Rouge because they turn it into a theatre. All right. Um, prequel. Prequel. Christian and Satine? Christian's not in the picture, so Satine can be there. But just Satine. Just Satine. Well, and the rest of the people over there. Well, I mean, she's, yeah, it, it's, it's got to be about her horrible family life. Why on earth would she get into prostitution if not to run away? Yeah. Family life. Oh, I just hate these all so much. Um, <laughs> okay. Was Zidla a, a previous client of hers, maybe? I, well, Zidla's her pimp, I think. No, 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 but, but that's, that's how they met, that, you know, she was offering herself on the street or uh, whatever. And, yeah, maybe. You know. Why are you looking at me like that? Because <laughs> I'm bad at radio. Are you trying to foil me in some way? Just give me something. I just, I just hate this world so much. Not our world, their world. <laughs> I'm sure the feeling is mutual. Yep. All right. So prequel. What was your idea? Prequel with what? Prequel. What, what, did, what have you added, Andrew? I see, you you, you either have to make issues. it about her horrible family life or about how she meets Zidler. Okay. Okay. Zidler is a vampire. Done. Okay. <laughs> it was too easy. I'm in, I'm in Fishman. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, just a shape of water and 1800 friends. Done. <laughs> uh, so Zidler is a vampire. Excellent. Zidler is a vampire and he buys the Moulin Rouge and turns it into kind of what it became. But before it became what it was, he was struggling to, uh, I guess, find the right talent because he had lots of whores and lots of dancers uh-huh. and they're all very kind of focused in on different, different uh, something for everyone, different fetishes. There was the grown-up baby, the big black man, the, the exotic Indian woman, et cetera, et cetera. But he didn't have just the whitest girl you could find <laughs> who could also sing. Smash cut. <clears throat> Satine is... <sighs> 14, and her rather well-to-do father wants to marry her off to one of his business partners. Oh, how could he? Mm. Mm. Well, mm. easily. The she rebels, on- of course, <laughs> and pretend- and fakes her own death, harking back to uh, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> but she doesn't have a love interest. She just wants to escape. Um, and her mother is a drunk and her father is a tyrant. She fakes her own death in some sort of explosive carriage accident, um, <laughs> runs off into the in, and becomes an absinthe waitress and becomes addicted to absinthe and, and cocaine. And, um, of course, she starts selling her body because she's got to get extra money somehow. And then Zidla is loitering on a street as she's walking home to her apartments. And he swoops down on her and and convinces her that, you know, she's better than this. She deserves a life of glamour on the silver screen. But before we can get there, perhaps we should go back to the Moulin Rouge. Can I add I like it. I like it. A sinister point. Sure. He wants her blood, but he does not want to kill her, so he infects no, her. No, no, no. The reason she's so dynamic is because... He can't drink her blood because she has tuberculosis. Oh, I was going to say he gives it to her, so she's like a blood factory that just coughs blood up. No, no, no. <laughs> he's eating all the, the other dances. Well, this is fine, I guess. Yeah. But it's like a special treat, like a glass of port with your dessert. <laughs> and then she becomes the uh, the star of the Moulin Rouge. 
Brilliant. The sparkling diamond, etc., etc. Uh, I could legitimately see that. Good. I'm glad. And it would have a point. <laughs> <laughs> Zidler's a vampire is the main point. <laughs> but also spending a bit more time in the in the actual Moulin Rouge. God, I just want Carolina Connor to have a bigger part. She's there. She's a vampire too. Yes. Nina Legs in the Air is a vampire. The end. I've fixed it. Okay, thank you for listening, everyone. So if you want to get yeah. in contact with us, there are a number of ways to do it. You can go to our website, which is secondtakepodcast.com. Or you can email us, because we have one of those things. We are secondtakepodcast at gmail.com. And always have got Facebook, you know, Facebook slash second take. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, yeah sure, that yeah. one. Or second take podcast, you, you find it. Yeah. And Twitter. At second take TNC, or we we have an Instagram. Funnily enough, sometimes we post video. No, well, actually, we have no videos. No videos of some pictures yet. though that are funny. There was, there was a quite a smart tweed jacket on there the other day. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, I got bored. Um, <laughs> really. Also, um, if you guys want to support the show, we also have a link to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash second take. Um, this is a, a, a big variety of ways that you guys can give to us. It starts as little as $1 per month, which is 12 bucks a year. It's pretty, pretty low and pretty simple. But we've also got sort of a group goal going at the moment there. So once we hit our first target, which is collectively uh, $50 a month, we're going to release uh, all of our reviews of the Monty Python film series. Ah, and then yes. the idea is ongoing from there for every little milestone we hit, we're going to do extra series for everyone. So sort of a... So please go on and sponsor us so that we can review the Monty Pythons because I can't watch them until then. It's true. We're not allowed to watch any movies unless we're reviewing them. (laughs) And yeah, (laughs) if you want to have a listen to any of the other podcasts that any of us are on, um, go to thatsnotkindofproductions.com, which is the mothership for all of of our other podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. In one of them, I'm a wizard. It's pretty good. Yeah. And I get to torture that wizard. It's even better. (sighs) And maybe just one day... There'll be solo podcasts that we do. That solo you can find podcasts? There. Yeah, where we just talk at ourselves. Yeah. Yep. The Good. best kind of Fun. podcast. No interruptions, right? Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> none of, none of this over talking of each other. <laughs> <laughs> I do like to think fans will literally pause just to be like, that's, that's not true. <laughs> that's not how that works. Just because it's you in the room by yourself, Seb, doesn't mean you're incorrect. Anyway, it's fine. Good. Good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much for listening. And go do all the things on social media. Hooray. Fork, fork, hello. Fork, fork, hi. You know what you need to be doing? You need to be listening to the Floof and Popper podcast. I'm Mel. I'm Taylor. And we're going to talk about all things dogs. Dog stories. Dog breeds. Dog tips and tricks. Dog puns. Dog jokes. Dog everything. Out if you're not listening. Uh, hit us up at the Floof and Popper podcast wherever you get your podcast. Tune in. That's Not Kind of Productions podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.